This is What Book Hooked You? I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, I have Emily XR Pan, whose debut novel, The Astonishing Color of After, comes out on March 20th from Little Brown. I had a great time talking to Emily. I heard such wonderful things about her book, and so it was great to be able to have her talk about it with me. So listen in. So, Emily, what book hooked you? Well, I feel like the earliest one that I can think of to answer that question would be Harriet the Spy, because that was the point when I was starting to feel like I wanted to be a writer. And when I read Harriet the Spy, which I barely remember now, but I remember back then it was so important to me because it was about a girl who also wanted to be a writer. And so she spent all her time devoted to that craft, to trying to become a writer, uh, which is what I wanted to do. And so I copied her and I had my own notebook that I carried around everywhere that I wrote everything down in. And it was also around that time that I tried to write my first novel of my own, which was kind of a ripoff of Harriet the Spy Mm -hmm. and the Babysitter's Club. It was like a neighborhood spy club with all these girls who had a hotline that anyone in the neighborhood could call with their mystery. And they would like try to figure out what happened to Mrs. Friedman's cat. And that would be the mystery. Um, So that was kind of this huge inspirational jumping off point because Harriet wanted to be a writer just like me. And from there, every book that I read, I sort of read with that lens of, is this a book that I would write? That's great. And so you were writing sort of these uh, fan fiction mashups almost, I guess you would say. Yeah, but except with my own characters. Uh, really, they were just ripoffs. <laughs> they were just unoriginal, very heavily Nancy Drew-inspired things um, because I just, I just wanted to be telling stories of my own. And so, you know, then kind of throughout the rest of your childhood, were you always still kind of reading, 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 whatever you could kind of get your hands on? Yeah, I mean, I read a lot of, I didn't, my parents would take me to the library, but I did not have a good sense for how to find a book that I, that would be good for me. And so it was the type of thing where I would find a book in a series and then I would devour the series. And that happened with American Girl and Babysitter's Club and Boxcar Children And later, my parents bought me the Narnia collection at my teacher's recommendation. And, um, like, I I got the Narnia books really young. I was, like, seven years old when I got the entire set for Christmas. And it was one of those sets where the the books were in the wrong order. You know, there are like two different ways to organize the Narnia books and the set that I received was in the wrong order. So it was actually very difficult to read. Like the, I think the magician's nephew was first instead of the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah. I think I had the exact same one as a kid. Yeah. And so it was kind of difficult to wrap my head around. And I read it just because I had this love of words and sentences. Um, and I remember it felt like an accomplishment to read these books that I sort of struggled through and barely grasped, but just so enjoyed the lushness of the language and the characters and the world. Um, so it definitely was 
this addiction to reading and storytelling, even when I couldn't totally grasp what the story actually was. I just wanted to read anything and I didn't totally understand how to go to a library and be like, well, I like this, this, and this, so can you recommend this? I would sort of stumble upon random books here and there, or I would find something in a classroom and that would just be what I would read. I didn't, I didn't have a sense for how to identify my taste or ask for what was next. And so then when you kind of uh, grew up in kind of preteen, teen years, as you were able to obviously comprehend uh, what you were reading a lot more, uh, did your reading habits change or did you get into a different type of genre, different type of book? Yeah, I think it was really, it, my fifth grade teacher was really pivotal for me as, a, as someone who recommended books. Because she, first of all, she picked really excellent books. And second of all, she would always have us vote. So we would read books and then at the end of every book we read, we would vote on all the books we'd read since the start of the year to see what our favorites were and if our, if our favorites had changed at all. And that was the year that I started to form a strong opinion <laughs> about what I was reading because I was being asked for the first mm -hmm. time. Like up until then, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, this book was kind of whatever. I still enjoyed reading the words and this book was interesting. And there are like a few books that stuck out in my head before I got to the fifth grade. But once we were in the fifth grade, it was like, oh, well, I like this book. I like this book more for X, Y, and Z reasons. And she also had us read uh, the Book of Three. Actually, she had us read all of the Pridean Chronicles by Lloyd Alexander. And that was my first discovery of, my first real discovery of fantasy. And I mean, I had read books before then that were kind of like, portal fantasies, but I didn't understand fantasy as a genre until I read the Pridane Chronicles. And then that sort of blew my mind. And I started thinking in all these wild directions. And I started trying to write fantasy stories of my own. And then after that, the next thing that I discovered was The Golden Compass. So the, His Dark Materials, that entire trilogy. And that was probably the next book that really hooked me because I was so blown away by all these concepts. It was so much more complicated than the Pridean Chronicles. Like the Pridean Chronicles is kind of Lord of the Rings light. But his dark materials created these worlds that were so full and so, I don't know, so tangible and special. And I felt like I could directly enter them. And so that was, the beginning of my love of, I guess, not even just fantasy, but things that were any the slightest bit weird. Because when the Golden Compass starts, you don't realize it's a fantasy. I mean, I didn't realize it was a fantasy because it was not presented to me as a fantasy novel. When it starts, you're just like, oh, it's this girl in Oxford, and it's maybe in a different time period. And so it felt like I could slip into this world so easily it felt like her world could be my world and then after that I don't know for for some reason I had just kept reading non-fiction books about the holocaust I guess number of the stars which I had read in the fourth grade had really stuck with me and I was fascinated by the holocaust and kind of unable to understand it as a real uh, a real piece of history mm -hmm. like part of my brain was like 
we read that in a book. Was that real or was that just a story? And so then I had to solidify that it was real by reading a ton of nonfiction. So then for the rest of the sixth grade, for, for all of the sixth grade, I read nonfiction books about the Holocaust until for every single book report until finally my teacher thought it was very unhealthy mm-hmm. and was like, why don't you read a novel? And she handed me Harry Potter. And that was another hooking point. Right. And so, you know, you've been writing since a young age and, and, you know, all throughout all these books that you're, you're reading are kind of inspiring mm-hmm. you. So as you're writing, was it this childhood dream that, one day these stories that you would write uh, would become published and you would be an author? Yeah, it was definitely always a dream of mine. Um, In the sixth grade, my teacher, the same teacher who was very concerned by my unhealthy obsession with the Holocaust, um, she had us make books. I'm like doing air quotation marks as I say books because they weren't really books. She just had the whole class write short stories and then everyone printed them out in a special way and stapled together like covers so that they looked like books, but they were really just short stories. But I did not understand that that was the scope of the project when she declared it. When she announced it, I was like, we're making books. And so I poured my soul into trying to write a full length novel. It was a gazillion pages. It was quite a lot of pages for a sixth grader to be writing. And I remember staying up really late and my parents being very confused why a teacher would ask a sixth grader to write a book. And I was very insistent being like, no, Miss Stone told us we had to write books. This has to be a full book. And at the end, what we turned, when we turned things in, I was like, oh, nobody else actually wrote a full book. And so that was, that was very much this moment for me where I was like, this is going to be a thing. And this might be a thing that I reproduce and then sell. Like that was definitely in my brain to the point where I was really obnoxious about the cover looking right. And I insisted on painting my own cover. It was a whole thing, but I definitely always had that dream of being able to walk into a bookstore or a library and see a book on a shelf with my name on the spine. Does that sixth grade book still exist somewhere? I been trying to find it i'm certain it must live in my parents basement somewhere it must be buried somewhere maybe someday so when you then so when you become a full-blown teenager uh do books still and writing still play that important role for you or did you get caught up in high school activities social life things like that i spent probably most of my time, most of my free time was spent writing. Um, But what I define as free time, I was a really intense musician growing up. And so what I define as free time is time that was not spent on homework or practicing music. Mm -hmm. And so that was not that many hours, but it was definitely still more hours than the average teenager because my parents wanted me to stay focused. So I was kind of not allowed to participate in school, in extracurricular activities that were not directly related to homework or music. And so I spent all of these hours writing stories, trying to write novels. And I also in high school, actually it started in the eighth grade, I got really into writing fan fiction. 
I wrote a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction. I wrote Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Um, I had this like very strong sense that I would want to divorce myself from my fan fiction one day. So I wrote under a pseudonym. <laughs> what was and, the pseudonym? Oh, I that is a secret that will <laughs> stay with me forever. Some of those some of those things are still on the internet. Sure. I've been okay. unable to right. get them down. <laughs> um but I wrote a lot of fan fiction. Uh and I and when I was first introduced to fan fiction, I had this friend who rode the bus with me who told me about her discovery of fan fiction and I scoffed. I was like, I'm writing my own stories with my own characters and you're telling me that you're going out there and you're reading some random story about Harry Potter that some random person wrote that probably is garbage. And and she was like, yeah, but I can't stop reading it. And I remember I was so sort of, I don't know, I really, I really sneered at it. I was like, why would anybody value fan fiction? And then out of curiosity, I went and looked at what she was reading. And then I got sucked in. And then I couldn't stop reading. And then I sort of realized, oh, my God, there's this entire world of people. They're all reading Harry Potter fan fiction. They're all talking about it. It's this whole community online. And then I started to feel like I wanted to be part of that community. And I wanted to put my stories out there and see how people would react to what I was writing. And then it became this addiction to that instant gratification of I would write a story and people would post reviews and speculate about what they thought was going to happen next. And that was very gratifying. So that was, that was kind of a distraction, but also sort of a way of practicing churning out the work. And so you're in high school and, you know, at some point you're asked and you have to start thinking about your future. So at that time, was your future uh, involving books and involving writing in your mind? I had always thought that I would write books on the side. I had always, always in my brain, I thought that I would have some kind of job and I would fulfill my dream of being a professional author on the side. But it was always, it was always there. But I thought when I was in high school, I thought I was going to be a professional film score composer. And my parents were very much like, no, 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 you practiced and did music all these years so that you could get into a good school so that you could pursue something practical and have a stable life. And so they were not into the idea of me studying music or creative writing. Uh, so I actually ended up going to business school for undergrad. And so while in college, you know, because college between studying and everything else, were you still able to carve out that time for writing, for reading? I ended up doing a minor in creative writing as my way of like reclaiming what was important to me um, and to like prevent myself from losing my mind in business school. Um, so that my minor kind of became my life. It was really the, those classes were really the only classes I cared about. And I was able to continue writing because of that. But it, but it definitely, you know, took a step back um, so that I could focus on trying to make a career out of my business degree. And so were there books during that time that, uh, you really remember as being kind of big, important books for you? 
I, I took this one particular class that was actually a creative nonfiction class, a memoir writing class with Rachel Dewaskin. And she assigned the most incredible books to us. And one of them to this day is still one of my absolute favorites. It's called Autobiography of Red by Anne Carson. So that book was really important to me. I also read Fun Home uh, by Alison Bechdel during that time. Um, it was very different from the stuff that I had been reading before. And that was kind of thrilling to me because it, I guess it fired up the creative part of my brain in a different way. I had never thought about, it's not that I had never thought about it, but I hadn't in a long time thought about writing outside the genre of fantasy. And so then when, with having this minor in creative writing, that's kind of keeping that creative spirit and your writing kind of alive for you. Uh, did that kind of solidify that you were going to be a writer at that point, some way, somehow? At that point, it was it was very clear to me that I was never going to stop writing. But that was when I started to become curious about pursuing writing professionally because my teachers were professional authors and and you know it's like when you meet the real deal then you start to be like oh could I have that life and I had a few teachers in particular who were extremely encouraging and they thought that I should apply for MFA programs and I was wrapping up this undergraduate degree in marketing and international business where I had been quite miserable because I just did not belong in business school I went to one of those really sharky business schools mm -hmm. where everybody wears like full suits to class and like our like I think there are only like four classes required of me that were not in the business school so it was very much a business heavy undergraduate degree mm -hmm. and I was I was feeling like I was about to lose my mind because I'd been studying stuff that I didn't care about for these years, this entire period of my life where you're supposed to be learning really interesting things and enjoying yourself. And I had had what I sort of thought of as a pretty miserable college experience. And so that MFA looked very appealing. And this was right around the time that I was getting ready to apply for jobs. And I was like, maybe I should do this. And I remember my parents being like, what are you doing? You just like, you're wrapping up this really strong degree that sets you up for a good job right out of college and you want to go get a graduate degree and I was like I'm just gonna apply you guys don't even have to think about it like if I do it you guys don't have to pay for it so whatever it's a decision I'll make myself and then I said I actually graduated early so I had to apply for MFA programs before I even um before I even graduated from college, I was applying for MFA programs, but then before I could find out whether I had got into MFA programs, I was already working full time and I was miserable in my job and getting into my top choice MFA programs was kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, I have an escape route now. I can get out of this miserable business job and do something completely different. And so going into my MFA was sort of that second chance for me to second chance. I mean, in that I could have a, an academic experience that was 
the experience I had wished for my undergraduate degree to be. And so when you're applying for that MFA and when you had gone through college uh, with your minor in, in creative writing, what was what was your writing like at that point? Uh, were you kind of playing within a certain category, certain genre, certain style? I was writing so up until up until college started, I had been writing mostly fantasy. And then once I got to college, I felt that sort of group pressure. And especially when I was taking the memoir class, obviously, if I'm writing nonfiction, nothing magical and fantastical is going to happen. Um, But then I also felt the pressure to try to be, quote, unquote, literary. And so my writing in college shifted and it became more realistic, trending towards realistic, trending towards what people categorize as adult literary, mostly as a way to fit in, mostly as a way to sort of blend in and feel accepted by my teachers. And then I discovered in college, I actually one book that I read um, was Amy Bender's The Girl in the Flammable Skirt. It's a collection of short stories that I, I was one of the few books that I read on my own that was not assigned to me. And Amy Bender's stuff is so weird. And I really connected with the weirdness because it was, it wasn't fantasy, but it was the weirdness itself was kind of magical. And I liked that it was unlike anything I had read or tried to write. And so then I sort of tried to emulate her. I tried to write these very strange stories where bizarre things happened, but they were grounded in realistic things. And those were the stories that I used to apply to MFA programs. So then by the time I got into my MFA program, I I felt the same pressure again because everyone around me was writing these realistic stories, these adult literary stories. I felt that same pressure to try to write in a similar vein. And so I kind of suppressed the part of me, the instinct of mine to be weird and to delve into the magical And then it wasn't until after I left my MFA program that I went back to the very weird stuff and the very magical stuff. So, while an MFA program obviously isn't required for someone to to be a writer, uh, Mm -hmm. what benefit do you feel that you got out of it? I think that for me, it was an opportunity to reset my life. I sort of feel like in effort to try to be like the good Asian daughter pursuing the practical career, um, I had sort of lost myself a little bit and doing the MFA program. And I would never recommend an MFA program uh, for someone who had to go into debt to do it. I was very lucky in that I got funding. Um, and that I think that's really the only way to do an MFA program is if you're funded for it. And that time was a gift to me because I could completely reset. I could reevaluate my priorities. I could figure out my own discipline. I used that time. I I told myself this time is useless if I can't, if it doesn't translate to something lasting when I'm out of the program, if it doesn't turn into something that I can hold onto when I have to reenter the real world and the workforce again. So I really challenged myself to use my MFA time to develop the discipline 
to write and revise and finish whole novels. And I think that that was an incredible gift. And so after this MFA program, did you feel that you uh, were really uh, kind of laser focused on then becoming this writer? And did you have sort of this clear idea or path or style that you felt would get you to that step? Um, after my MFA program, I definitely had like a laser focus. Like I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I knew that I needed to set myself up to do it. And so I, I, I took a job in publishing where I could tell from the interview that it was going to give me a good work-life balance. And I want, I wanted a job in publishing because I wanted to be surrounded by books and bookish people. I didn't want to go back to my previous industry I was working on online advertising before and I was working at a tech company that kind of functioned like an agency. And I knew I didn't want to go back to that. And I was willing to take a pay cut to not go back to that. And so I set myself up by first getting this job where I would be able to write in the mornings, write during my lunch break, write when I went home and not work the same ridiculous hours I was working before. Like I didn't want a job where I would be working from seven in the morning until nine or 10 or 11 at night. And or where, where I would take spreadsheets home on weekends, you know, like that was not, that was not the ideal lifestyle. So I, I first had to find that. And then after I finished my MFA program, I had this moment of being like, Oh, well, I'm no longer in grad school with teachers looking at my work and classmates looking at my work. And I felt like I could really return to my roots, which were fantasy. So then I really focused heavily on trying to write, fantasy novels again, I'd actually sort of started reverting back during my last year of my MFA program. Like I wrote a fantasy novel um, as my thesis, actually. But when I, when I left the MFA program, that was even more intensely in my brain, this idea that I had to go back to my roots. And I wrote a fantasy novel and I drafted like, I revised it like 12 times and then I queried agents and I got a lot of full manuscript requests and then got a lot of rejections. And I could tell that there was like a consistent reaction that made me realize my story idea was there, my pitch was there, but the execution was not quite there. And so I had to continue honing my craft. And then I wrote another fantasy novel and I did like seven drafts of that. And I realized that it was changing, but it wasn't actually getting better. I could, I had reached the point of being being able to identify that the quality wasn't there. And so then I went back to a novel that I had first started writing in grad school. And in grad school, I had been writing it as adult literary. But when I went back to it, and it was not the first time I'd gone back to it. I had tried rewriting it many ways, but every time I tried rewriting it up until then, it had been some version of adult literary. And I started playing with making it magical. I started playing with bringing in the idea of this mother who died and turned into a bird. I played around with making it middle grade. I played around with making it adult literary fantasy. I played around with making it YA. And then in 2015, I remember January 2nd, I sat down to rewrite it from scratch and the opening pages just poured out and they're, the opening is relatively unchanged. And that became the astonishing color of after. 
right. So, and this is your debut. It comes out on March 20th. So give me kind mm-hmm. of the brief synopsis of what the book's about. Okay, so it's about a biracial girl named Lee. She's half Asian, half white, and she believes that when her mother died by suicide, she turned into a bird. So Lee goes to Taiwan to try to find the bird, and Lee has never met her Asian grandparents, her um, Taiwanese grandmother and her Chinese grandfather. She's never met them before. So when she goes to Taiwan, this is her first experience with them, and they don't speak the same language, and they have to try to communicate and try to connect. And she spends this time digging up family secrets and learning all these things about her mother and her family that she never knew while trying to find this bird. She also has to reconcile the fact that at the same moment that her mother was dying, she, Lee was kissing her best friend and longtime crush for the very first time. So it was this horrible thing that was, became a rift between them. It pushed them apart. And it took the healing, the starting to heal, to bring them back together again at the end of the book. And so you mentioned, you know, how this book kind of came about, uh, the seeds of it. Uh, I'm wondering when it kind of found a home in YA, uh, were there books that you were reading within the category that kind of, uh, that you really kind of gravitated to or really kind of inspired you? Yeah, I was um, I was very much inspired by Bone Gap by Laura Ruby. Um, there, the version of the Astonishing Color of After that sold actually cut back and forth between a fantastical world and the real world, um, and that was something that I was playing with. That I had already been playing with something like that, but I had been feeling uncertain about it until I read Bone Gap, and that gave me the confidence to be like, oh, this can be done. She's done it so beautifully. And so that gave me the confidence to really pursue it. Um, I was also, I was obsessed with I'll Give You the Sun. Uh, I was obsessed with The um, the Walls Around Us and Imaginary Girls by Nova Rensuma. So those were some pretty big influences around the time that I was writing this version of the book, as I was writing and revising this version of the book. And as you kind of, once you kind of found a home for it and you kind of came back to it, you know, that, that January, uh, did it feel different because this had been something that had been with you, this initial idea and this initial story. Once you, once you kind of started off, did it feel like you had finally kind of, uh, set your path and you, and it was, uh, I'll say smooth sailing or at least different than your previous attempts at, at, uh, writing a, a novel. It definitely felt very different. Like the, it felt like the opening pages clicked into place, but it wasn't the smoothest sailing from there. I actually, um, rewrote, I rewrote the rest of the book a number of ways. But I needed those opening pages to launch the rest of it. Um, I think I did a few more rewrites that were almost from scratch, but not quite from scratch because I was still going back to the opening pages. Um, but it took me about three months to nail down the first draft of what I would then revise and sell. So at you know while you're writing this, you're also uh, in publishing. So did it kind of help... Uh, 
once you had got it to the point where you were sending out that you kind of had this behind the scenes knowledge of how the process works, uh, especially once you got an agent and once it's sold and all of the things that go into motion after that? It definitely helps. Um, it, it, it's helped in interesting ways. It, it helped me narrow down my list of agents. There are agents who would constantly come up as names that people loved to work with. And I wanted an agent who was beloved and who had a great reputation and was known for being really great to work with. Um, so that was the, that was the first point. Once we sold the book, it's, it's been very helpful in that I have an understanding of the timeline and everything to expect. And, and I, I understand, you know, the publishing language, like, when they gave me my marketing plan, they didn't have to explain anything to me because I worked in marketing. So I could very easily translate in my brain what they were doing for me. Um, it's been hard in, in other ways, though, because I've seen good books fail. I've seen good marketing plans fail. I know that I know just how little is in my control, which is something that authors don't like to hear. Um, so it's been an interesting experience. It's a double-edged sword, the publishing knowledge. And so this is a book, The Astonishing Color and After, that has, you know, it hasn't been released yet. It comes out again on March 20th, but it's been getting like a lot of positive buzz and a lot of people are saying a lot of great things about it. So is it something, is that all of that something that you're able to kind of take in and or does it all te seem too surreal for you? It's pretty surreal. Uh, it's weird to have this this thing that um, I've wanted for so long. And because as I said, I was like seven years old when I definitively knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um, and I turned 30 later this year. So it's been over two decades in pursuing this dream and hoping to someday realize this dream. So it still doesn't quite feel real yet. I just held my first finished copy of my book the other day and I burst into tears. Uh, it was just so overwhelming to hold a real book with my name on it and my words in it. That's great. Uh, so a few kind of questions as we wind down. Uh, the first question mm -hmm. is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? So I say this with deep shame because I haven't actually <laughs> uh -oh. read the book. Okay. But I love Howl's Moving Castle. Okay. And that is one that has come up a lot on this podcast. Oh, really? Yes, actually. It's so, it's so fantastic. I really need to read the book. But as a movie, it's just so fantastic and so whimsical and inspiring. And then the next question is, is there a series or a book that you're willing to admit that you've either never read or weren't able to finish? Oh, you know, I was never able to finish Infinite Jest. I don't think a lot of people have. <laughs> I own a copy and I don't think I've ever opened it. So at least you tried. <laughs> I, I own two copies of it, and I read quite a decent amount of it, but I don't, yeah, I don't know that I'll ever actually finish that book. Right. And then finally, 
what is the last great book that you've read? And actually, before you answer, I do want to note that uh, when Melissa Albert did the podcast, and she's as we're recording this, I think she's still on the bestseller list for the Hazelwood. She actually said, answered this question with the astonishing color of after. Oh, I love her. So I ask you, um, what is the last great book that you've read? I am really obsessed with A Room Away from the Wolves, which is the new Nova Rensuma book that comes out this September. It's absolutely brilliant and beautiful, and it's very eerie. It's very atmospheric. It's very, very much the type of book that Nova would would write. Um, it's about this troubled teenage girl who ends up escaping to this house for troubled girls called the Catherine house. And it's just so, it's so beautifully written. And so I, I had to keep all the lights on in my apartment as I was reading it. I was very spooked the whole time and, and jumpy. Um, it's, it's an absolute delight. So that was the last thing that I read. I read it as a manuscript. So whoever is listening to this podcast is going to have to wait until <laughs> September to read it. That's great. Well, Emily, The Astonishing Color and After comes out on March 20th, and I'm so glad that your childhood dream is finally coming true, and I wish you and the book all the best. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. And that does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You. Special thanks to Emily XRPan for joining me. Her book, The Astonishing Color of After, comes out on March 20th from Little Brown. I hope you'll check it out. And also, I hope you'll check out some of our other episodes and conversations I have uh, with YA authors. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading. <laughs>